What's up guys? It's your girl Jamia Zarzuela, the political poet, and welcome to Poetry, Prose, and Politics. This episode is sponsored by Coconut Casual, a Black-owned lifestyle brand focused on positively impacting our globe by promoting female empowerment. It's all love at Coconut Casual. And remember, if it's for us and by us, then support us. On today's episode, I sat down with Madison Goodrich, a recent graduate from UT Austin who double majored in government and African and African diaspora studies. We discussed many things such as graduating in trash ass 2020, rethinking our whole governmental system, especially when it comes to policing and a number of other things. So without further ado, here's episode three, America was never great. Madison Goodrich, um, a fresh graduate, and I just graduated from the University of Texas at Austin with a government and African and African diaspora studies double major. And the reason it's named that is because like with diaspora, it's that's called like the dispersal of people, you know, like right. that's the meaning of the word. So like what the department was trying to do, like by having people graduate with that major is kind of make sure that you understand blackness um, globally and not just as it relates to the United States mm-hmm. and the U.S. Black experience, because, you know, Black people are all over the place, and we've right. been all over the place since the beginning of time, so it's really important to kind of know that history, and, like, you know, I read for, like, my last class, my senior seminar class, like, for that um, major, we talked about, like, um, we read a lot of, like, Caribbean theory and Caribbean thought theory, so lots of, like, people in the West Indies, so Jamaica, Guyana, like, you know, and, like, I'm half Jamaican, so that's a whole other conversation, but, yeah, so that's, I guess, like, the whole, like, I guess, kind of, like, theory behind the major is just kind of, like, understanding Blackness globally, and then, like, once you understand Blackness, the kind of next thing is, like, okay, how do you, with this understanding, help change the world and make the world better for all Black people? And that's so interesting because uh, Kamala Harris, who was the VP pick Mm -hmm. for Joe Biden, is Indian and half Jamaican, and her parents are both immigrants. Mm -hmm. And people don't understand the separation. Um, And it's so interesting to see how people will think that a Dominican person isn't Black, a Latino person isn't Black. Uh, And they make arguments like Kamala Harris isn't black even though um she's Jamaican and she's really her father is just a boat stop away from my grandparents in Florida yeah it's really what it is and so yeah that's really it's refreshing it's very important to understand that um, to have an understanding of black people in that way Mm -hmm. that you know, just because I speak Spanish or Dutch like they do in, you know, whatever area that they are in, doesn't mean that I'm not a Black person. I'm just Black in another form. Um, so for government, 
I guess like the reason why I wanted to do that major is because when I was graduating high school, I thought I wanted to be a journalist like you, mm-hmm. but like everyone tried to really push me away from journalism. Everyone was like, oh, there's no like money in journalism. Oh, it's a dying industry. Like just all these people, I, all these things to say, you know? I feel that way. I feel that way every single day, every day that I do this with this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, I feel that way. I feel like uh, no one's gonna, I have this fear of no one's gonna listen or no one really cares. And I think it's, I think it's a matter of trying to figure out how to get people interested. And that's why I say that this is entertaining news, not entertainment news, political uh, poetry, prose and politics is meant to be a fun way, a fun way for millennials and Gen Z to view news, but it's not going to be where we're just going to talk about Kim and Kylie and you know I may I may you know compare you know a scenario of something in popular news but it's it's to make um to translate what's going on in our government to to the everyday people that you know what happened in our government Um, yeah and I think that's so important because I feel like especially for Gen Z mm -hmm. people just kind of assume that we don't really care about politics we don't care about the government we don't care about what's going on but I mean I think just even with the Black Lives Matter protests that happened and Gen Z's role in that shows you Mm -hmm. that a lot of young people are very politically active and aware it's just maybe the ways that we like to show that aren't the traditional ways that maybe our parents express that or even our grandparents. So I think this is like really great that you're trying to like target Gen Z and like millennials to really kind of showcase that we do care about these things. We just maybe consume media in different ways that maybe aren't kind of like always recognized by like, I guess, main major like news networks or whatever. I love the Harlem Renaissance. Like that's where I pull from my inspiration. And I feel like we're in this new digital renaissance is what I call it. And I'm so excited to be a part of it because it's like, that's, you know, music isn't, there's this crap. You can cuss if you want to, I curse. (laughs) Uh, There's, you know, we get like the shit, you know, music that comes out um, and we have SoundCloud artists, but there are a ton of, you know, SoundCloud artists that I love. um, And we have, everyone can be a photographer because of Instagram, Mm -hmm. but it makes it a lot easier for photographers to show their work. Um, They don't need to have a website because really you can just click on and pay for, for their website, $13, you know, a month, however much it is uh, because Instagram allows that space for them. And it shows that they're capable because they, they're able to, you know, show their work for free. Yeah. So there is this, good and bad parts of you know being a part of the digital renaissance but i i really am excited that our generation um really uses it (laughs) to the fullest no yeah i you know i am conflicted i think for now what i'll try to do is like freelance like whenever i get the chance like I wrote for the Daily Texan, which is our school newspaper, and I wrote for their opinion section. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I tried to kind of fulfill those like journalist kind of urges. Right. But I don't know if I would full time be a journalist just because you're like you said, like I feel like there are other ways that I do want to help. And right now my plan is to work for about a year or two and then go to law school. So that's kind of like the period I'm in right now. 
Um, but yeah, like kind of when you said you're thinking about what if I'm a judge or what if I'm something like that? Like, I completely agree with you. I feel like there's just so many different ways that you can make a difference that who knows? Like, I feel like Gen Z, we are all over the place as a generation. So there might be like political judges that like also do journalism. Like, I feel like people are going to really have multiple jobs moving to the future and like multiple trades almost. Yes. Um, I think that's definitely something we're trending into. So who knows, you might, there might be a combination of like what you do is like all of those things. No, yeah, I agree with all of that. Like, I guess I'm thinking back to like the kind of origins of social media. Like I remember like growing up, like MySpace was a really big thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I never had a MySpace just cause like I was younger and my parents were like, no, like don't make one or whatever. But it was like, everyone was like really into MySpace. And then like Facebook came out and that was like the huge thing that everyone wanted to be on. And then there was like Instagram. Now there's TikTok, you know? So like, I think it's really interesting to see kind of like in like Twitter and whatnot. So I think there's just so many different like social media sites that are like used by Gen Z and millennials that and to like promote themselves, their brands mm -hmm. and like, but I also think like with that, there also is like the other side of the coin where like I yeah. know sometimes like artists worry about like their work getting stolen or kind of like what mm -hmm. does consuming artists, like how do artists get paid for their work when there is just kind of like this, almost like expectation that whatever you're seeing on Instagram or whatever you're consuming needs to be free, you know, kind of like, it's not like you always have to pay to like go to someone's page, you know? Right. And um, you have something like OnlyFans, which gets a lot of heat because sometimes people might use it to like sell um, maybe if they have like whatever they're trying to sell. But then it, I think it just brings interesting questions into like what, how do you pay for things and how do artists still kind of like protect themselves and like be are able to make a living when like you know yeah. I, I find that, that that's really I find that that's a generational problem because if you think about all the songs that uh Elvis Presley stole from black mm -hmm. artists back in the day it was that you know they would go to some swing club or whatever, and then they would listen to the song. And then now it's literally six, nine, stealing a song that a little boy put out and yeah. he plays the beat and switches it. There actually one of his songs that, that just happened. There was a song from New Jersey, I think, or the Bronx, somewhere, you know, upstate New York, you know, New Jersey area. Mm -hmm. uh, this artist, he had his music stolen and, nobody no one um really called six nine out on it as much as uh he should have been yeah and he still gets plays and we don't recognize that you know there's this other artist who made a really great song it's so great that six nine was able to get it to a million views in a day yeah um, so yeah we We've been battling these uh, issues for a long time. And I think that that's where you and I and the rest of Gen Z would come in and say, well, how can we rectify that problem? Yeah, how, We know that this is a problem. Uh, how do we protect artists in their content? Now that content creating is even a new thing. Like when is, what is stealing and then what is uh, free use? When, yeah. when does it become okay to use that? Because there are so many times where I'm like, you know what? I really like this song by Drake. I'm going uh, to put my video over it. 
and then Instagram is like, you ain't gonna put your video over it and <laughs> think that it's gonna play on Instagram because <laughs> no, yeah, Drake needs to say that you have rights to this song, otherwise, no. Yeah, no, yeah, I, you know, that's like a whole like field of law, you know, and it's still evolving, especially as like technology and we use technology more and more, and especially like with this pandemic, which has really kind of forced us into being and many times like completely remote, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I feel like that's a hard question and like it, it's hard to answer because there's just so many other things that go into it. So it's just just like access to like an attorney or access to like someone who's able to like go to court and maybe like fight a big artist, like six, nine, who like has like all this money and like resources to fight someone who's like lives in upstate New York and who's maybe like making music from home. Yeah. Some 16 year old or, you know, however old. Exactly. Like them compared to, and that's probably why he stole it. Cause he knew that like he has the upper hand and he can take something like this, which is also terrible. So yeah, like, I feel like for accountability to happen, it's, there's going to have to be a lot of restructuring that um, I just don't see major labels or even artists really wanting to do unless they do have like a strong moral compass. But I think also that's when Gen Z does become powerful because I feel like sometimes like um, people can rally behind a cause and really kind of, I feel like if that kid went on like Twitter and like made his story go viral, they would definitely apologize or something for it. You know what I mean? But it's like, there are only so many battles that we could always fight you know what I mean and I feel like even constantly every time I go on Twitter there's always something you know so at what point is it kind of like going to be in legislation or kind of like in writing like you cannot do this I think it's a matter of us um our our generation sees and is able to handle and understand things that a, a journey a generation prior couldn't and that's why when you um, that's why when I see uh, Nancy Pelosi not understanding uh, any other young person that comes to her uh, as a, we, I can't necessarily say that I subscribe to being Democrat. I vote Democrat, but mm-hmm. like another progressive person, um, yeah. I, I, I think that it's because they're an age that's kind of dying out. If when we really think about people that are in politics, like for instance, you can't you can't be president until you're like 35. Like yeah. that's one of the requirements. And it's really interesting because you see all of these ghastly old men <laughs> that are the ones running for president. Maybe because they have a lot of experience, they have been doing it for a majority of their life. That's a great valid point. Um, but there needs to be some sort of understanding of what's going on on what's going on in this generation or whatever evolution that uh, we have because no one saw social media coming. We literally have had a phone for maybe a hundred years. What president had? His, I think the president's number. The first president. What's his name? That was like in nineteen oh one. Who had a telephone? that had a tele- telephone yeah like it was and we we've had this telephone for a hundred and what 20 years but it took a hundred years to remove the cord off the phone to actually get a cell phone 
And then it took 10 years after the 100 years to put the internet on the cell phone. And then it took five, you know, or less than five to, to add the camera and to advance the camera and to make the camera better than a DSLR. And then now we're able to literally have a conversation. Yeah. Class, class uh, I can see my doctor. I can on a, on a phone. Yeah. So these my point is that Nancy Pelosi, all these people that grew up in a, in a time where they didn't have a concept of that, where they grew up where there was black and white television and they never even thought color television was possible. Yeah. People that are running our country and they, they don't really understand. They ask silly questions about Facebook and Facebook regulation that we as young people completely grasp that they just simply can't. Yeah. So it, it's also America needing to know that maybe you know the elders they know many things but uh they need to also look to us for a lot of things (laughs) and with you being a recent graduate Mm -hmm. uh how matter of fact how was graduating in 2020 what was that like for you um I guess to be honest it it sucked you know (laughs) I mean granted like I completely understand my school had to shut down like this is a very deadly virus that's affecting so many people. So I definitely think UT and like schools around the nation made the right call to move everything remote. Um, But I don't know, I just feel like as much as I think technology is a good thing and like people being able to like do things and work from home and like work remotely, I do also feel like there is a lot to be gained by being in person. Mm -hmm. And I guess like, I don't know, also, I just think I always sit back and think like, wow, like I'm losing my 20s to like this pandemic you know what I mean like time that like none of us could get back but I think just like for me it was just like overwhelming because it's like you know you're used to like going to class literally and then one day quite literally school just ended and it was like okay everyone (laughs) go leave exit you know the premises and like go home and like work online now so I think like I think just like kind of the shock of it all was like the biggest part and just how quickly everything moved. Like, I just remember specifically like March 11th, actually, I think that's the day that the NBA shut down. And like, when that happened, I was like, okay, like this is like really, really serious. Really, really. I actually was married March 11th. And so that was, I think like from March 11th till like that my son was in the hospital uh, cause he got sick and we were in the hospital for a week. And I, I mm-hmm. saw the shift happen within that week in the hospital. Um, so March 11th, we got married by March 15th. Like I was supposed to go to the DMV, get my name changed, go to social security office, but I couldn't cause he got sick. Yeah. Uh, and my husband was leaving, um, for, for the army. And so I, we were in the hospital for his, the last week that my husband was here. Mm-hmm. And you, you're telling me that you saw like, it was one day, it was both parents that we both went to the hospital to, to admit him. One day it was, you know, the both of us being able to be in the hospital and we can see, or he, my son could have, you know, my mom visit and his aunt visit with her kids to the next day. It was no visitors. And then the day after that, it was one parent only. It, in a week's time, yeah. we got out of the hospital and it was like, everything was closed. The DMV was closed. Social administration office was closed. 
uh, I needed to get a passport, like everything was shut down. So I saw like how in a week, <laughs> in a week uh-huh. from a hospital, how COVID just affected America. So it, and it was drastic. Yeah. And the shift was crazy. Um, from the doctors saying that, you know, we don't have any more masks. Like we're supposed to wear masks when we see you. Uh, we're, you know, we're trying, you know, make sure you wash your hands. You know, you got to stay in your room. We can get you what it is that you need. If you need coffee, we can, pre- like, it was crazy. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, and that's scary, you know. I think everyone was just very scared. And that was just a very tense time, you know. And, like, you going through the hospital, like, I could only imagine. And you worrying about your son. Like, that's a lot, you know. And I feel like so many people just across the country just had, so many things going on already just in their lives in general and then for this pandemic to just literally kind of come out of nowhere I mean like I know I was watching it very closely when it was in Italy and I was very concerned then just Mm -hmm. because I was like it wrecked Italy like you know it was just so scary and I was just I felt like I'd read articles about it all the time almost every day and I had one other friend who was also like really interested in what was going on in Italy and we would just sit down and talk and we were like what happens if this comes to the U.S. because like no one here seems to like even be thinking about it no one even thinks it's a possibility like but like this is like scary like you know what I mean and then for it to come so quickly I think just it was a shocker. So I think like, I guess back to your question, like what was it like graduating into a pandemic or during a pandemic? I think, especially in the beginning, it was just like really scary. So it just made things like school and like, I don't know, graduation and things like that seem just so small. Like me working on an assignment, I was just like, people are dying. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. so much else going on in the world while I'm worried about like this research paper, you know? So it just really kind of put things in perspective to me and it made me feel like, okay, like the things that I'm worrying about right now, just like in the grand scheme of things don't really matter in the context of like what we're all going through. But, oh, no, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say with that being said, like, I, I feel like, how, how do you feel um, when it comes to students still having to pay a full tuition? And that goes, that was my point that I was making is like a Nancy Pelosi, she's so far removed from school. She hasn't gone to school in all the, probably all of my mother's life in my yeah. life. <laughs> she she probably hasn't gone to school that long or she hasn't in, in that long. So like when it comes to people that are literally on the boards for making decisions, you know, at your school on how much they're, they, at first they say, yeah, you're going to live in your dorm whatever and then they say oh well you know this COVID thing is pretty serious yeah it's still really serious so uh actually you're gonna have to leave your dorm and you're gonna have to pay the flight that it takes for you to leave uh it's you're gonna have to all the stuff that you put in your dorm you're gonna have to take it back and figure out and it needs to be gone in three days like who who makes the decision of you know those for maybe getting a forgiveness loan so that you can just simply leave or you know your dorm because your school told you that you could come and then last minute the week before school started they said you can't even live in your dorm uh so we look for we look to uh i guess our elders and it's really they're not hearing us the people that is 
really being affected by it because I'm still going to full to school full time. I'm not getting a full time, you know, education yeah. worth. Uh, so they need to credit me, and you know, I, I. Yeah, I mean, I guess like my kind of thoughts on that is that I think it's just all about money. Like, I know like with UT, they still, even despite with everything going on at like University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, yeah, um, some other schools that are like comparable in size, like other big like state schools, right. like they've seen, like there's been like plenty of examples of schools, like literally opening and back down. at Chapel Hill in the exactly. first week. Are you serious? Like, exactly. We're not going back to school. Expect, you know, and it's like, so schools are opening and then having to immediately shut down. And it's like, this isn't like shocking. Like, I think everyone, like, if you ever knew that this is going to be the case, but I think the reason they did it is because they said, okay, we're going to miss all this money if we don't require students to come back to school. So we're just going to force them all to come here and then shut it down in a week or whatnot. I feel like that's literally what they're doing. It's but you still, so me, um, there. you still owe me. You still owe me the full tuition now. No, I'm not getting a full. T- exactly. I'm not getting a full. It's so who, you know, and this is why I feel like, um, <laughs> I feel like it's so important for young people to be, you know, uh, very involved politically, um, because everything is. Mm-hmm. I always say, you know, everything is political. Uh, COVID ha- is yeah. The for the for our, I'm not sure if you claim him as your president. For the president, for a- no. Agent Orange to say that you know the lefties, mm-hmm. the commies, the whatever whatever it is that we're now, uh, you know they're they're trying to make this COVID thing political when it in when it is not just for students. When you're talking about a, a single mom who worked at a bar, whatever it was that she did during the day while her kids were at school, literally can't go to work because there is no bar open. And she can't work at Walmart or get a uh, whatever, you know, other job that might be available because her children need to be with her all the time because there's no daycare. There is no school. And my my aunt's a teacher and they're saying, oh yeah, students are going to come back August or pardon me, uh, September 8th, but school starts, you know, virtually only August 24th, which is, you know, next week. So it's kind of funny because it's like, yeah, everything is political. This has affected our education system, our healthcare. It's affecting our day-to-day life. It's affecting our economy. How can, how can we, especially as black people get other black people involved in in these conversations and making decisions because this is all political and it's going to affect us are the disadvantages that black people have when it comes uh to um hell anything but especially on the medical side are that's we've always faced discrimination no matter where we go and that's not you know it's it's not unique to us being treated uh, poorly in a hospital. So, and mm-hmm. we're not being heard or it taking us a long time to even trust our going to the hospital because, you know, we we just either don't have healthcare or we don't trust the doctors because they think that we're gonna, you know, they're gonna sell our souls to our, whatever it is, you yeah. know, 
reason why we don't go, we wait until the last minute. And so when we see, you know, the highest people affected by COVID is us, uh, the highest number of Black women that's giving birth and not making it out is us. Uh, it's That's nothing new. So how do we get our sisters and brothers and aunts and uncles into the conversation? Because it's, we're the ones that it's killing, you know, I mean, it's a matter of life and death. I guess my response to that, it's, I guess it's kind of complicated. I guess, I guess one, I feel like Black people are, are already burdened with so much weight of things that they need to carry that I feel like sometimes just by putting more kind of like responsibility or emphasis on Black people to kind of like change the whole world and like make everything better for everyone mm -hmm. and themselves included. But like, you know, like I feel like it's just an unfair burden that we are always having to hold of just having to constantly fight for ourselves. And I really think it's like, also up to like white people and other people of color and other people, especially in positions of power to step up. And if they can't step up, then move over, you know? And so I think it really needs to be a, about us really holding our leaders accountable and holding the people that are supposed to be our advocates accountable right. for their jobs and making sure that they are like doing those things. Because I feel like, you know, asking, uh, young mother who's already stressed about like, you know, putting food on the table, living, making sure that maybe her children have like access to healthcare, figuring out what they're going to do during the day if they have to be home and if she has to go out to work and also saying like, okay, you also need to be at this rally, do this and this. Like, it's just right. not feasible and it's not fair, you know? It's not. Um, Racism wasn't a black problem. Exactly. Yeah, like you know, it's not a problem. Y'all need we to hit. Well, I'm not saying that. Like we, we don't uh, need to contribute into fixing. Yeah, of course not. But I feel like there but is kind of like need the to hit on your uncles, exactly. And your cousins, like I'm tired of having to be considered this angry black person. But angry, I'm an angry black bitch when I'm trying yeah. to fix the problem that I didn't start. No, exactly. I'm not considered as passionate that, you know, it's literally my people dying. But, you know, racism isn't a black problem. We didn't we didn't say that, you know, we're still how can it be that we're stealing jobs and we're lazy? And then it 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 goes to, oh no, it's the Mexicans that are stealing jobs and being lazy. Black people are just lazy. When we're literally, if black people did not work for one day, every single brown person did not work for one day the world would literally stop no exactly like people want to look down on certain i guess um types of labor and it's like you know the people that we call essential workers you know, they're even like, even sometimes like back during the beginning of quarantine, like I know that like um, a lot of like the Amazon warehouse workers and people like that, which are a lot of POC and black people, mm -hmm. they were very upset, obviously, because they're like, okay, we don't have fair wages. We're having to work and risk our lives mm -hmm. to get all these people who are able to stay home, you know, the things that they need when we can't even get what we need for our families. So I think it, there is definitely like this huge class divide that is very race-based that um, needs to be fixed. And, you know, I hope people when they can still do like revolt and, you know, protest and, you know, 
have sit outs or strikes or whatnot. And like, I always make a point to never cross picket lines. So like when people are boycotting Amazon and I still do my best to boycott Amazon, Mm -hmm. um, you know, not supporting corporations that don't try and support um, people of color or working class people, you know? So I think, you know, it's, especially for POC, like, I really feel like we also need to be kind to ourselves and realize that like, there, the weight of the world is literally on our shoulders at, at all times yeah. and really like kind of push off work to white people and our allies to really say look like you need to shoulder some of this burden because it's just too much for all of us to bear yeah and when it comes to to voting um amber from amber's closet i she's on youtube i'm not sure if you know of her mm-hmm. uh but she has a series uh instagram tv series called convince me uh for voting for this election and i feel like even my friend i have a friend that's uh going to law school mm-hmm. she doesn't even and she wants to be the she wants to be senator <laughs> and i'm like she doesn't even want to vote for this election because she says why 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 yeah. why would i bother voting trump being president isn't going to hurt me as a black person it like and I'm like, well, how can you say that? And and but there's so many other people that you know aren't even politically inclined that don't care about voting. And it's like, well, at this point, locally, you know, we now that we've missed everything locally, we've gotten to a point where we've missed all the really important stuff. How can we, you know, fix it with this election and and advocate for ourselves? Uh, throughout you know whoever's next term it is their presidency how can we shift uh if we don't vote because i i get it we black people have a lot of anger because we've tried everything we've tried us and i say this often we silent protest by wearing a shirt that says i can't breathe by kneeling then we actually go out and protest peacefully and then we burn down uh a precinct (laughs) in target because we're angry and we're trying to we're at this point uh just get something done um what nilam's husband i'm not sure nilam is a is a muslim woman she's a rapper and her Mm -hmm. husband i was watching something that she posted her husband went on and said that uh it's kind of like these protests are kind of like a battery. Uh, there's a battery has a negative charge and a positive charge, and there's a lot of negative energy going out into the you know when it comes to how other people are protesting. But there's a lot of positive things going out when it comes to how people protest. But mm-hmm. both of these energies are coming together to give charge to something. Yeah, and you give charge to something that is dead. And the value of black lives are dead. I thought that was really profound. And yeah, we we've tried everything. Can we try voting? Because literally, because in in my head, I feel like, well, can we at least you when you don't go to the polls, you you already take you make it easy for them to yeah. and you take away you know um, you don't even get to prove. You, you take away the argument that black people can't make a difference when it comes to voting. Now, if we all tried voting, 
and we still didn't get what it was that we wanted, then maybe we can see what happened after we can, we can then try to say, okay, well, we're going to take over the White House by doing this, <laughs> you know, but we haven't even tried to go voting or to vote. And I don't even know how to convince anyone, convince any wow. of my family members, my sisters to to vote when it when they don't want to. Because yeah, you know we've tried every, we've tried everything, but we haven't tried this one thing that our ancestors fought so hard to get. So it's like, well, how do how do you even con convince someone to vote? Do you even want to vote? Yeah. So you know personally me like I I do vote like I mean I literally was a government major throughout college so like I do vote and I believe in the power of voting uh -huh. um but also the flip side like when I talk to a lot of my friends that are politically active or I guess like politically aware but are sometimes against voting I guess the arguments that they have is that um just both at least for president for that um, position specifically, like both um, candidates don't have our best interests in heart. Both parties yeah. don't have our best interests in heart. Yeah. And I really, I 100% I agree with them. I don't think the Democratic Party is really thinking about black people and they like what's best for black people. They're just trying to pivot any which way they can to attract the black vote, which is what they've been doing for the past, yeah, since the party, what, flipped in like what like late 1800s early 1900s you know yeah. like so it's just been that way for years you know so I definitely understand that there is a lot of discontent with just our current political system in general like right. let alone just even this one election so I definitely understand that but then it's kind of like I don't know I feel like it's just hard because I just feel like you have to kind of start somewhere and I feel like that's kind of my philosophy for why I still go out there and vote because like, even though I know that like by voting for Joe Biden or voting for um, whoever, I guess, furthers my interest maybe a little bit in this like election isn't necessarily like gonna accomplish a lot. Right. I feel like if I'm gonna try and push to make what I feel like is an equitable and fair world even remotely possible, this is the parameters that I have to work with at this time, you know? At this time though, it's not gonna, and I feel like, well, we start by getting Biden in office improving that we can do something, that our voices mean something. And then once we've proven that to the Democrat party that, you know, you're not just gonna get my vote, you have to earn it, you know, and with, earning my vote um you need to come to me with a black agenda we, but there's a lot of like us not being on terms of what we're gonna lobby for or what we're going to what we're going to ask for from these candidates um not even not only that but it's not just the presidential elections that matter you yeah. also have to recognize that you know, when it comes to a police officer being in your community, uh, being a brown man and simply understanding, because I think that the issue is um, with police officers uh, is that they don't, there are police officers that come into a community. Mm -hmm. There are teachers that come into a community that's not from that community. Yeah. You're talking about, we have, you have a teacher that can't deal with little Taekwon 
and so she cries but my auntie having a little taekwon at home she knows how to set him straight you have a police officer that doesn't understand that this hand motion the flip isn't a threatening one that's just how I'm animated. It's probably how I say hi. It's not even, it's not, a th- I'm not be. I'm not of a threat. It's yeah. not, it's not, um, they don't understand the culture. They mm-hmm. see us as a threat because they don't understand the culture. My husband eats a lot of pork. Black people eat a lot of pork too, but like Dominicans eat a lot of pork. I feel like Cubans even eat more pork. Um, I have a lot of West Indies friends. They eat fish eyes. Black people don't eat fish eyes. We think that that's gross. Like we would to be on in in with voodoo or whatever it is. There there is a lot of uh, cultural divides that people just yeah. don't understand and might consider insulting. If you eat at a, a Nigerian household and you pick up your your spoon with your left hand, that's the hand that you wipe your butt with. You're supposed to eat with your right then they're gonna it's going to be like it could there's a lot of things that don't translate over and it can cause uh you know a big issue and it's like how can you fix that well you fix that when you uh try to elect your mayor you fix that when you elect a mayor that puts in a city manager that says we need a um we need a an incentive to get black police officers in. So what we're going to do is we're going to do X, Y, and Z for police academy. We need to shift how police academy works. Maybe police academy needs to be four years because it's really not fair that the police academy is only four is, is, you know, six months to a year when if I wanted to be a judge, I have to go four years or six years to law to uh, get my political science degree. I have to freaking deal with law school and deal with that debt. I have to ta- uh, pass the bar exam and deal with $600 and me, you know, having to take this big ass test. Then I have to, um, then I have to go and st- uh, practice law for five years. And then it's, I, and then I could try to become a judge. Literally, they're given a, you know, six months and you get your, your gun and your badge and your, your truck and they're out into the world. Yeah. Is it really fair? No, it's not. How do we fix it? We fix it by recognizing that, you know, everything is political and trying to, but how can you, I don't know how to convince people that, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe police reform would work, but we missed everything else before we got here. We missed all the other, you know, elections before we got to the idea of police reform, which, yeah, in theory, like if we were to take the money out of, um, out, if we were to take this money and we were to put it in, I don't know, a, com- a community-based organization that mm-hmm. would help reduce uh, Black-on-Black crime maybe uh that would help with how you know you know police officers have or their laws um that allow them to go in uh with a a search uh what is it a yeah they can just pick search yeah yeah. maybe maybe we can fix that problem so that a Breonna Taylor situation where it's 
it's legal for the way that they went into her home because it's legal. Yeah. So are they going to get in trouble? We want them to go to jail, but the law <laughs> says that it was that they had that right to do that. Mm-hmm. She also had a legal gun. And for her wanting to just simply protect herself because she didn't know who was breaking into her house, you know, but we don't, okay, defunding the police, yeah, that could possibly work, but what are we going to do before that? Or what are we going to do after we've defunded the police? Because the police already get paid only $20 an hour off of 12 and they have 12 hour shifts, whereas a nurse gets $32 an hour with their 12 hour shifts. And it's, it's both on a give and take on whether or not if they're going to have something really heavy that they have to deal with. But does a police officer really need, deserve, you know, a $20 salary? Probably not. And I'm not saying that, you know, I grew up where I listened to NWA, you know, proud and I grew up saying fuck the police. I grow, I grew up saying they're pigs. I grew up with that mm-hmm. culture. So it's just like, well, how do we, how do we fix this problem ourselves? Because we have to do some sort of contribution to to the solution. Yeah. Um, you know, that was loaded, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think you're asking very good, but very complicated questions. I mean, I think so. Like, I know you mentioned like defund the police, but there's also another kind of, um, theory that's going around called like abolish the police and kind of the ideas that like police departments and just kind of everything that the police represents. So just kind of the entire prison industrial complex, like incarcerating people and just all mm-hmm. of those ideas are rooted in white supremacy and therefore it just should not exist. So I think like, that's a very interesting kind of concept. And like, what would the world look like if we didn't have police officers? Like, what would the world look like if maybe mm-hmm. you're able to maybe just kind of have um, a different sort of system that we're able to, where we're able to kind of like keep people safe and really kind of like, build community and have community safety without people having to fear or be reprimanded or thrown in jail or disenfranchised or used as slave labor while they're in prisons or all these other horrible things, you know? So I guess like my um, response to that would be kind of, I feel like there are just so many problems with the current police state, current prison industrial complex right now that it almost needs to be kind of rethought in in, in its entirety. Restructured, yeah. Yeah, like completely restructured because I mean, I don't know. I feel like there has been a lot of like people trying throughout many years. Like there's been so many protests against the police, like back to like Rodney King and back to even like before then, back to even like the whole reason the police started was to, um, you know, capture keep slaves. black people in line, like capture slaves. Like mm-hmm. that's like the reason that the police exist. So can something that's know that history, in white supremacy and um, anti-blackness really be fair to black people ever when and that's why it started, you know? So right. I feel like the police in general isn't something that, I think it's something we're taught that we're and told that we need. And mm-hmm. because we've never really been given the tools or given the chance to really think of something else or come up with something else, you know, people are just so against it. When I mean, new things happen all the time. And I feel like as a society shifts and changes, we need to be open to a lot of different structures that we have currently shifting as well. Yeah, with the FBI dismantling the Black Panther movement, 
yeah. so easily. But we have to petition. And it, it, it really makes me want to cry. I have to, I have to sign a petition for the KKK to be recognized as a act of terrorism and an, an organization of, of terrorists, of terrorism, um, an organization, pardon me, of terrorists that that's yeah, it's like, that, like, like I can't even grasp. I have to beg my government to recognize the KKK as an organization of terrorists, of terrorists, of terrorism. You literally are talking about people that would, between the year of 1882 to 1968, 4,700 people were murdered in 1892 alone, which was my last pod, my last episode was literally about the fact that 203 people died that year in 1892 because the KKK, because they were lynched. They were brutally, they were taken out of their homes and murdered by these people that announced that they were in the KKK. You want to know why we have to, as Black people, petition that? Because the same reason why you will never see Hannah Montana in whatever, Hannah Montana and Miley Cyrus together, because they're the same. Yeah. Like, it just is what it is. No, exactly. Like, I think, exactly. Like, like you said, like, Black people, we've been fighting for freedom, equality, and whatnot for centuries now, you know? And while things have, I guess, slowly and in some ways, maybe on the surface at least, gotten better, like the sense that small concessions have been made, like no sweeping, like full change has really happened. I mean, like, yes, we're not slaves anymore, but you know, we're taken to jails and forced to work for free. That sounds like slavery. You know what I mean? So like there's so many other loopholes of just, and kind of backwards ways that like black people are still brutally enslaved and still like oppressed. And I think it, it really begs the question of like, okay, is this system that we currently have, this this American that, you know, people love to laud and like look at America as like this land of opportunities and whatnot, is it really like what it's, is that really what it is? And, you know, and I think that like, we really need to be more critical of government in general, the systems of government, um, and just really all the systems that we've been taught to believe are kind of like there to support mm-hmm. and help us and really kind of question that and think for ourselves and think like, okay. And I feel like that's what I really liked about my, uh, I call it just black studies degree is because I feel like, especially being a government major and having my black studies degree, having them really kind of talk to each other. I feel like it really allowed me to be critical of what I was thinking in my government classes and, you know, really kind of think, okay, like, what would it look like if maybe we didn't have a presidential system? And just kind of yeah. like when, um, you know, colonization was happening, it was very purposeful trying to separate uh, Black people and kind of make this hierarchy. And like, you know, there are different types of slavery. So slavery in Brazil, for instance, was looked different than slavery in the United States. It's looked different than slavery in somewhere else. Like, you know, yeah. um, I think also just like the way that colonialism has deeply divided black people um and caused all these different kind of like rifts and like misunderstandings and like dispersed 
all of us, you know, mm -hmm. to places where maybe we weren't natively and um, cause divisions. Cause like, you know, the way that like slavery was even able to happen was by just dividing people. Yeah. With so, colorism and with, and how we see it even today in, in hip hop culture. Um, yeah. And speaking in hip hop culture, like I, I have like this thought of, you know, even Meg the Stallion who was recently shot by Tory Lanez and she just coming out with that because mm -hmm. she didn't feel safe enough that her police were going to respond appropriately to help her out of the situation or instead yeah. she would have gotten shot and if she was to get, or she could have gotten shot, uh, Tory Lanez could have gotten shot and killed simply because if they learned that there was a gun in the car, that's something that could have happened. Um, and then on the fact that, you know, she d was trying to protect uh, him, even though he shot her. Exactly. Uh, so there's a lot of problems in not just the African, well, I don't really like saying African-American community. I'll speak about the Black community in its entirety, mm -hmm. how there, there, is a, there is a separation uh, due to colorism. There's mm -hmm. a separation due to um, region of origin, national, nationality, where you come from, what language it was that your, your uh, colonizers forced upon you, mm -hmm. uh, what culture your colonizers forced upon you. Okay, yeah, you're Catholic, and well, my husband is Catholic and he speaks Spanish because that's what his half of Hispaniola spoke. On the yeah. other half of Hispaniola, there is the Haitians that were forced to speak French. And then there's us in America that were, we speak English um, and we are Christian. And yet we all modeled this white, uh, or we all saw this white Jesus yeah was and he was forced upon us in the slave bible that told us that we needed to be happy it, it's just really interesting the fact that we all have a similar form of history and yet uh we can't come together in that way uh we can't come together and you know who we're going to vote for or if we're going to vote at all yeah we can't come together on what it is that we're going to do with the police Mm -hmm. uh, we can't come together in how we're going to rectify what happened with Meg the Stallion or if she's considered a snitch uh, or if she's comparable to 6ix9ine who snitched it, it's just it's just so interesting how uh, your major would probably explain that a little bit better because I feel like to be a black person uh, is to be angry when you understand a lot of your history. No, exactly. Like it's, it makes you very angry, you know, it's <laughs> like, you know, as one person, I feel like very power, powerless and just this cog of the whole, you know, world's machine, you know? Yeah. So, but like, even with feeling powerlessness, you know, I still feel powerful in the sense that like, I do have the privilege of knowledge, you know, mm -hmm. and I have the privilege of being able to learn about these things and be have classes that are dedicated to really kind of dissecting blackness, you know, like I, not everyone gets that opportunity. Yeah. So like, not only that, but also having like professors who this is their life's work, they're published, they research, like this is what they do, live and breathe. And having students who are also equally as passionate as you are, where you're able to bounce ideas back and forth with them and talk about like concepts that not only are going on in the classroom that you're struggling with or learning about but you 
could apply it to what's going on currently in modern day times, you know? So, you know, I think it's a blessing and a curse. And I feel like, at least for me, I feel like having, being blessed with an education and having those opportunities, I really want to make sure I use it for good and to further, you know, the freedom of Black people. So that could be, you know, encouraging people to vote and like encouraging people to think critically about the government and, you know, think of new ways to kind of like maybe police ourselves or not even police or abolish the police in general, or maybe even like encouraging people to just think critically about everything and come up with new concepts. Because I just feel like Black people, like, although we are talking about a lot of kind of negative things, which is very important, there's so many positive things. There's so many inventions. There's so many, so much creativity. There's so much just ingenuity, you know what I mean? That Black people come up with all the time that I feel like, you know, Black people could definitely come up with a completely new um, political system. With that being said, what is next for you? What is with you being a new graduate, with you loving your study and finding um, tools and using um, everything from the digital renaissance and pulling from the fact that we have streaming, you know, platforms that didn't allow us to do um, things uh, before. What is your next step uh as a recent graduate yeah so oh gosh my next step so right now i've just been like interviewing for a lot of jobs so it's just like a stressful process because you know you just have to go through all of that and like constantly y'all madison's being modest she's going to be writing a book soon like let's (laughs) (laughs) let's stop (laughs) (laughs) no that's a long time away but Yeah, so I've just been like applying for jobs right now. I guess right now my plan is to like work for a campaign. So I've been interviewing with a few campaigns and hopefully do that and then transition into something full time, save up as much money as I can and then go to law school. And I've also been studying for the LSAT during all of this. So it's just taking things step by step. Like when I was graduating undergrad, I knew I didn't want to go straight through to law school. I knew I just needed time just for myself, but also like I wanted to save money and make sure I was financially able to take it on. Cause like, I just, I don't want to go into like hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. Like, I just feel like that's not realistic for me right now, at least. And, um, so yeah, so that's, those are my long-term plans. So when I think of my twenties, like if I could get through my 20s, like with a law degree and very little debt, like I will be really happy. Like, that would be my like big goal. And yeah, and then I guess from there, like I really at least right now want to go into like public interest law. Um, so maybe criminal defense law, uh, human rights, civil rights, or maybe even I've been thinking a lot about like the tech industry. So maybe even intellectual property law or cybersecurity and really kind of thinking about like how can we protect people, people of color in the um, digital space since so mm. much of what we're doing is digital. Yeah, that um, is very, very important. And so that we can follow you on your journey and all of this, where can we actually follow you? What is your handles for social media, Instagram, uh, Twitter, you mentioned? Where can yeah, we so my Instagram handle is really easy. It's just my name, at Madison Goodrich underscore. And my Twitter is, it's a little more complicated. It's at Madison Goodrich one. So instead of the H at the end, it's a number one. 
I just did that because the Madison Goodrich handle was already taken. Mm-hmm. Right now, my Twitter is actually in private just because, like, with applying to jobs, sometimes I just, you know, have to hide some things. But once I'm employed, I will be back in the world, you know. I tweet <laughs> um, inflammatory things, or I guess I really retweet mostly things. I haven't, like, tweeted myself in a while, but yeah, definitely follow me. I love to engage with people on social media. Um, and I love, like, I'm always one to, like, when you post things on your story, like, don't be shocked if I, like, comment something, like, in response or whatnot. So, like, I love, like, keeping in contact that way. And I just really want to say thank you. This is great. Like, I really appreciate this conversation. And, like, I haven't really been able to talk this deeply in a while. So I appreciate it. While you can listen to Poetry, Prose, and Politics wherever you stream your podcasts, be it Spotify, Google, or Apple Podcasts, Anchor.fm does allow you to leave me a message so that you can join in on the conversation. You can also support this podcast with small monthly donations to help sustain future episodes. You can donate as little as 99 cents a month. Just visit Anchor.fm forward slash the political poet that's a-n-c-h-o-r dot f-m forward slash t-h-a-p-o-l-i-t-i-c-a-l-p-o-e-t wow that's a mouthful and then click support lastly i mean don't forget to follow me And you can find me on almost all social media platforms at Jamia Zarsuela. And as always, guys, speak free. Until next time, catch you later.